0: Welcome to the Abide in Me podcast, where we're countering the malaise of modern culture and superficial spirituality by taking aim at the truth. We'll be looking for answers to the big life questions. What was our origin? Where can we find meaning and purpose? How do we discern between good and evil? Fact and fiction? And what is our ultimate destination? You can find more content on our YouTube channel AIM Radio, or follow us on Instagram. All links and resources are provided in the podcast notes. Enjoy this week's episode. Why is God hidden to those who are sincerely seeking him? That's going to be the question that I want to delve into today. It's a question that I see many people asking online. And it causes great distress to some people, even some Christians, when they feel that they can't feel God's presence, or they don't feel that God is listening to their prayers But this argument of divine hiddenness, which is really an argument that a lot of atheists use to prove that God doesn't exist, um, has been pushed to the forefront again recently by one prominent atheist, Alex O'Connor. And on the face of it, it seems like a very good question and good argument. It goes something like this. If God exists and if you read through the Bible... It says that God sincerely wants to have a relationship with us, with his creation. Then why don't more people have that experience? Why are people seeking and not finding? Because if God is a loving God, as Christians say, wouldn't he do everything in his power to draw people to him so that their lives would be better, And that they could be in relationship with him. So I've seen a video of Alex O'Connor. And he says look I've done everything. To seek God. I'm open to a relationship with God. I don't have any resistance. I've read the Bible. I've studied it. I've prayed. I've lived with and tried to emulate other Christians. I've even done a theology degree. And yet. I still don't believe. I've also spoken before about a woman called Karen Armstrong, who became a Catholic nun and was sincerely seeking a relationship with God, went through the whole process of becoming a nun, lived like a nun, prayed, did all the rituals, did everything that she thought she was supposed to do in that role because she desperately wanted a relationship with God, and she ended up losing her faith. Because she didn't feel that she had a relationship with God. She didn't feel God's presence. And so what is going on here? Because on the flip side of that argument is many people do seek God and many, many people do find God. They do have a visceral experience of God's presence in their life. They do hear from God, they get guidance, they get provision, they get healing, their prayers are answered. And oftentimes these people are not Christians. They're not reading the Bible, they're not going to church, they're not following any of the ways that are taught within the Bible, whether it's the Ten Commandments or Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And yet they have an experience with God, that actually leads them to convert to Christianity. So what's the difference? I think there's a couple of things that we need to recognise before we go any further. The first one is, as humans, we are very much blind to ourselves. What do I mean by that? We may think consciously that we know ourselves very well that we have a high level of self-awareness, but often we don't. We all have subconscious motivations, biases and barriers towards many things in life. In other words, we don't have complete conscious knowledge of who we are and how we work and what we want and what we don't want. So when people say they are sincerely seeking God or that they have no resistance to having a relationship with God, they may very well believe that. They may very well feel that. But on a subconscious level, there may very well be things that are blocking that relationship. And I'll speak about what some of those things are because they really are human universals, this isn't me targeting any particular people, or saying that some people don't have self-awareness. I'm saying that all of us are blind to all of our unconscious motivations and do not have complete self-awareness. The second thing to mention is this idea of our expectations. What are the things that we think we need to do in order to seek a relationship with God. Alex O'Connor listed reading the Bible, prayer, learning about God through a theology degree, living with and trying to emulate other Christians, kind of trying to become a Christian through osmosis even. Karen Armstrong believed that taking a vow of poverty and becoming a nun was a surefire way of having a relationship with God. But is that what is laid out within the Bible? Are those things necessary in order to have a relationship with God? In other words, we need to look at our own expectations and often our own expectations come from a place of we need to do more things in order for God to notice us, recognise us, love us. It's a very kind of works-based, transactional expectation. If I do these things, God, then you must show up in my life. And if you don't, obviously you don't exist. And so we're making a lot of assumptions, aren't we, from our human perspective about what God wants or how God is going to act if we do these certain things. I've also heard people talk about... The love aspect of this. Well, if God truly loved us, then surely that would mean that He would want to relate to us in these specific ways. And so if He doesn't, He doesn't exist. But that's from our human perspective of what love is. That's from a human perspective of what God wants and how He's going to get it. But that's just from a human perspective. We're projecting what we think would be the best thing for God to do onto God, but we're dealing with an omnipotent, omniscient being who has a plan not just for our lives, but for the whole universe. And so sometimes we're not going to understand God's ways. That's the whole of the book of Job. And it's also the experience that many of us have. Even when we do have a relationship with God, we don't understand why certain things happen the way that they do. But like Job, we have to have enough humility to recognise that there are just some things that we're not going to understand. And so it's important to look at your expectations, first of all, what you think God's expectations of you are, but also your expectations of how God is going to show up in your life. Often people are seeking a, a big spiritual experience, a kind of road to Damascus experience, where God appears to us in a vision or appears to us sitting at the end of our bed or we think there's going to be an obvious voice or we expect there to be a very dramatic change in ourselves an immediate change or we expect an immediate answer to our prayer in other words everything is on our terms we're asking God to prove himself in the way that we need or we think we need, him to prove himself. You know, writing in the sky, in clouds, I'm God and I exist. In other words, making himself so obvious that everyone in the world has to believe. But that's often not how God works. And there's a good reason for that, which I'll go into in a minute. But also, to say that if God made himself obvious, everyone would believe, is to totally disregard the testimony of Jesus, or the testimony about Jesus. What Christians are saying is that God did appear. Over 2,000 years ago, in the person of Jesus Christ, came down, did all kinds of signs and wonders, and still people didn't believe. Sometimes when atheists are asked, what proof would you need to believe that God exists? And a lot of them say, there isn't anything. There isn't any evidence because whatever would be presented to me I would just believe was an illusion or a trick or something like that. And so God did make himself known. People still didn't believe at the time and so obvious signs often don't work either. So this is very specific in other words. People come to a belief in Christ through very different ways and the only person who knows What's going to work for you specifically is God. It isn't even you. It isn't even you. And so all of this leads us to ask the question, well, what does God want? If it isn't works, reading the Bible, praying, going to church, etc., what is it that God wants? What does it say in the Bible? What do the prophets say? What did Jesus say? What can we learn from the stories of Moses and Noah and David and Jonah and the apostles? What is this pattern that is laid out by God for us to be reconciled and to have a relationship with him? Well, the first step is faith. And what I don't mean by that is blind faith. I mean that there are many, many ways in which you can use your mind to certainly get to the point that it is more likely that God exists than that God doesn't exist. And in fact, again, when some atheists are asked about this, you know, what are the best arguments for the existence of God? They will say things like, yeah, the fine-tuning argument for the existence of God is really compelling. In other words, the universe is so finely tuned, so well designed with all of these laws not just in nature but within ourselves that it is much more likely that there is a mind behind all of this than that it just sprang into existence without a cause and so you don't just have to rely on spiritual experiences to believe that God exists you can use your mind and so if you get to the point where you can kind of say okay it's more likely than not that God exists. This isn't blind faith. I've gone through all of the arguments for the existence of God and they're pretty compelling. The next step is a leap of faith because you're never going to get the proof that you want in this kind of worldly, materialistic, scientific way. And that's, I think, by design because God does require our faith and our trust In him. In the book of Hebrews, it says, For without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Whoever would draw near to God, which is what people are talking about, I'm seeking God, must believe he exists. Why? Because you have to acknowledge that someone exists before you have a relationship with them. That's just common sense. And so that initial leap of faith, which says most of my mental objections have been answered, if I'm going to be honest about this, there's just something in me that doesn't quite believe. So I'm acknowledging there are some barriers there. But I'm going to engage my will and say, okay, I believe you exist. And I'm seeking a relationship with you. That's got to be the first step. If you're still in a lot of doubt about God's existence, it's going to be very difficult to start forming a relationship. And so whatever barriers you have, it's your responsibility to start to work through them. This isn't impossible. There are many, 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 very intelligent people who have become Christians once they've started to wrestle with the arguments for and against God. And even if they are reluctant converts like C.S. Lewis, who felt that he was dragged kicking and screaming to this kind of realisation that God exists, he still took that leap of faith. And his first act was to kneel down and pray. So what's the second step? Humility humility. You have to have humility to have faith. Because humility says, I don't have all the answers and I'm never going to get all the answers. That's what keeps you in a state of humility. It also keeps you seeking, doesn't it? And learning and understanding and developing wisdom because of that. So it's necessary. A lot of people, I'm sure I've heard Sam Harris say this, why didn't God just give us all the answers? Why didn't he leave us a, a quantum physics textbook so that we know exactly what's going on? Well, probably because we would become incredibly arrogant, and that's giving us wisdom that is unearned, which is very much the same attitude as Adam and Eve in the garden. They didn't want to wait on God and be patient and be led by him in his timing. They wanted to fast-track themselves to get instant wisdom so that they could be like God's, But, of course, they wouldn't have the wisdom or the understanding because they hadn't learnt anything. They just wanted it given to them. And so we need to wrestle with these things. And in the wrestling, when we understand, oh, right, I'm not going to get all the answers, it keeps you in a state of humility. And we're not showing humility when we're saying, hey, God, I've done all these things and you haven't showed up, so therefore you don't exist. Because it's on your terms, not God's terms. You're not acknowledging that God's ways are higher than your ways and you're shaking your fist and demanding things to be a certain way, which is essentially you being in your pride. You saying to God, I know the best way for you to reveal yourself to me and because you're not doing it, therefore you don't exist. So God is looking for people who are humble, who have dropped their pride. It is the main barrier that people have towards a relationship with God, even though they think that they are seeking God sincerely, their pride will get in the way. When I listened to a lot of these divine hiddenness arguments, the verse that was just burning in my mind was Jesus's instruction when he said, you're going to lose your life to find it. You're going to lose your life to find it. If you want to follow me, You need to let your old life and your old ways behind. You cannot be wise in your own eyes. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. That's what we want to do. We want to be wise in our own eyes. We want to lean on our own understanding. We want to make up good and evil for ourselves. We want to dictate to God how he should act. All of that is pride. People don't want to lose their lives because they like their lives. What they want is kind of God on the top, like fresh cream on an ice cream Sunday. They want God to co-sign all of their plans and they want a God that acts in the way that they think God should act. That's not the way it works. God wants to transform you into a new creation, and while a lot of people like that idea, and in fact is is an idea that is within a lot of spiritual traditions, it's certainly within the New Age. I'm going to be transformed into a new being, and the Earth is going to be transformed into a new Earth, but it's all on our terms. We want to decide how we are transformed. But when you have a belief in God, you have a belief in God who is a designer of the universe and a designer of human beings. And so, of course, God knows the best way to transform you. God knows who he designed us all to be. And so he is going to do things that are going to transform us into that new creation that he designed us to be. And a lot of times we're not going to like it. It's not going to make sense to us sacrificing our old life and our old ways and our thoughts and our desires is not something that a lot of people are actually open to. They may say they're open to it, but they're not really open to it. There's a story in the New Testament where there is a man who apparently sincerely wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus says to him, are you going to go and sell all your possessions? Are you going to give away all of your riches? Because that's what it's going to take to follow me. And the man realises, oh no, I don't want to lose all of that. And so therefore, he's not going to be following Jesus. Now, it's not to say that this is what we all have to do. We have to all sell our possessions in order to follow Jesus. It's not even really saying, oh, you have to take a vow of poverty to follow Jesus. Jesus obviously knew what the barrier was for this particular person in following him. But it may be a very different barrier to you. And so many people who say that they are non-resistant and open to a relationship with God, in other words, they're kind of agnostic, are also making a very good living by being agnostic, leaning towards atheism. They may have massive followings. They may have good standing in their community. In other words, they feel self-satisfied and that they have importance in the world, within themselves. But they are leading people away from God. And so God came to Alex O'Connor and said, listen, you need to shut down that YouTube channel. You're leading people away from me. Are you prepared to do it? Are you prepared to lose the status, lose your group of friends, lose the money that comes from what you're doing in order to follow me? Are you going to take that leap of faith? Would he do it? Would you do it? And this is often why we are asked to let go of certain things that we feel are very important and that create our identity. But often these are the things that are blocking our relationship with God. You've got to lose your life to find it. I've had to do it many times and it's so difficult. And sometimes you are dragged kicking and screaming. But the newness is on the other side of that. The relationship The deepening relationship with God is on the other side of that because you've demonstrated your faith. And so you are rewarded. God knows what's best for you. And that's a belief that is very hard for people to grab hold of and, and believe because we are taught in our society that we know what's best for us. We know our own mind. And so to flip that on its head and say, no, God knows what's best for you is again a step that people don't want to take, but it's necessary if you're going to have a relationship with God. You've got to acknowledge that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. But there are going to be some things that you're going to need to let go. And so that is a a very subconscious barrier, actually, because people don't realise the things that they need to let go. This is a topsy-turvy upside-down worldview that is being presented to us by Jesus, okay, don't be worldly, don't be of this world. There is another world where things are basically going to be an inversion of this world. Because this world is based on all the wrong things. It's based on pride, it's based on self-serving, it's based on selfishness, it's based on coveting, wanting what other people have, Desperately trying to climb up the corporate ladder and tread on people as you go up. It's based on lies, it's based on manipulation, it's based on hatred often. And he wants to transform us into people who are the opposite of all of those things. But a lot of the time we don't see how upside down this world is. And we want to follow the ways of this world, we want to get our desires met. And we think, When we do that, we're going to be happy and we're going to be fulfilled. But a lot of our desires are just to accumulate more stuff, to have more power, to have more status, to have more money. We want more, 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 and yet we're never satisfied. And Jesus is saying, yeah, let all that stuff go. It's never going to satisfy you. It's never going to be fulfilling. It's never going to provide you true meaning and purpose. And I think inside we all know that, and yet we still pursue it because the other road is more difficult. And so this sacrifice that I'm talking about is, again, not something that people are prepared to do in order to seek God and find him. The other thing that people don't want to do is to acknowledge that they've done anything wrong. It's not just about praying to God for the things that you want and, oh, hang on a minute, these prayers haven't been answered and so therefore God doesn't exist. God is asking for our acknowledgement and our repentance. Acknowledging that we've done something wrong And many people won't acknowledge that. It's offensive to them. What do you mean I've done something wrong? What do you you mean I need to ask for forgiveness? If you don't understand that point, you're never going to understand Christianity. Most of the people who aren't Christians but have these experiences with God are people who are crying out to God. Desperate. And so they are in a place of, absolute humility. They've tried all the ways they can to live a good life. They've acknowledged that they've made a complete mess of it and they cry out to God. That is acknowledgement, that is humility, that is repentance, and that is when God shows up. When you say, I need you, okay, I can't do it all on my own. I've made a total mess of things. I've hurt people. I've hurt myself. I can't get out of this addiction. I can't have a good relationship. I'm selfish. I'm jealous. I act with malice. I'm not paying attention to the right things in my life. I'm seeking my own pleasure rather than helping other people. And people's lives are falling apart. When they acknowledge that, that's when God shows up. So I'm not saying that you have to get to your worst point, but there does have to be an acknowledgement that you've been wise in your own eyes and things haven't gone well, okay? You're anxious, you're depressed, you're addicted to things. You made one bad decision after the other and I'm not where I want to be. I'm not who I want to be. And that's when God shows up. And that's when the real relationship starts. That's when the real transformation starts, And he starts to rewire you to be the person that he wants you to be. True transformation is when you don't want to do the things that you used to do. You don't want to drink. You don't want to smoke. You don't want to lie. You don't want to be lazy. You don't want to gossip. Those things kind of repel you. That's when you know true transformation has happened. True transformation isn't you trying to be a different person and following all these rules that you think is going to keep you in line. It's when you notice one day, oh, yeah, I don't even want to have a drink. I don't even want to eat that kind of junk food. I don't even feel jealous of that person anymore or hateful towards them. Oh, I actually do feel forgiving towards these people that have hurt me. That's true transformation. But that will only happen if you are listening and you are obeying. And that's probably another reason why a lot of people don't feel that they have a relationship with God. Because the things that he's asking you to do, you don't want to do. And if people say, well, I can't hear what God is saying to me. Well, hopefully you can read. God isn't really saying anything new. He's been saying the same thing from the beginning. Trust in me. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm going to lead you in the right direction because I created you and I have a plan for all of this. So follow me. Do what I say. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't lean on your own understanding. It's going to get you in trouble. Surely your life and the whole of human history is a testament to that. And you can read through the Ten Commandments. You can read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount if you want to know how he expects us to behave. It's all laid out in black and white. Don't be selfish. Don't desire and covet what other people have. Don't be lustful. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Don't steal. It's not difficult. Look at Jesus' life. Look at the template of his life and how he lived and how he behaved. We're supposed to be following him. And if we're not doing those things, it means that we're not listening. Even if we haven't quite got to the point where we're able to discern God's voice, we have a written record. We have a written record of the people who had the closest relationship with God. In other words, the prophets, the apostles, and of course, Jesus. From the beginning, the people who acknowledged God and had faith... Listened and obeyed are the people who were brought into new life. Whether it was Noah building the ark, what a crazy idea that is! But he followed God's instructions, not just to build it, but to build it exactly to God's specifications. And yet he was the one and his family that survived the judgment and the flood. To begin again, Abraham told that he was going to have a son even though he and his wife were nearly a hundred years old and he had faith and god provided the son and ultimately led his family who became the 12 tribes of israel into the land but he didn't do it in their timing it didn't mean that they didn't suffer along the way moses after he had fled egypt was in the wilderness for 40 years being humbled by God. And then he was given the enormous task of going back to Egypt and bringing out all of the Israelites without any worldly power, any worldly money, any army. And he trusted, he had faith that God was going to be with him. And so he obeyed. And there are countless examples in the Old Testament and the New of people having faith of trusting in God, even though all seems lost, even though it all seems like an impossible task, even when they're kicking and screaming like the prophet Jonah, that when they eventually stop running away from God, acknowledge him and do what he says, they are rewarded. Their new life begins because they've let go of the old. They've dropped their pride and begun to walk in God's direction. God's not going to force himself on any of us. We have free will. That is one of the fundamentals of this reality. We have to choose. We have to turn. And we have to ask. But as James says in his letter in the New Testament, you ask but do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, in other words your desires. I want this, I want that, I'm not happy, give me this, give me that. That's how a lot of people pray. And they don't receive. Because really the first prayer that we need to pray is one of repentance. Because that gets us into a state of humility. This isn't about feeling shame forever and guilt forever and self-flagellation. and Oh my God, I'm not worthy. I'm not talking about that. It's just a simple acknowledgement Yes, Lord, I understand I've done all these things wrong. And I am truly repentant. I do truly have a broken and contrite spirit. That's the first prayer. And that's when God knows he can work with you. He can only work with you in your humility. He can't work with you in your pride. And so he won't show up. Certainly he won't show up in the way that you are demanding, But actually, God is speaking to all of us all the time. That's what our conscience is. And isn't it weird that we have a conscience, almost a kind of higher level of what we perceive to be our mind? As Paul says, I find it to be law that when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. In other words, it doesn't matter how much of a relationship you have with God, you're still going to have those times when you want to go your own way. You want to satisfy your own desires. But there's always that still small voice that says no shouldn't be doing that you get those little nudges those little feelings where does that come from if it comes from us why don't we just behave like that all the time why do we have this tug within us from an evolutionary point of view why does that happen because often the things that we want to do in a human almost animalistic sense are not good for us We want to stuff our faces, we want to get drunk, we want to lie, cheat, steal. It's pleasure-seeking, but it's not good for us, we all know that. So where's this other voice coming from that's trying to lead us in the other direction? It's God's voice. And so for the people who say, God isn't showing up, I'm going to suggest that they start listening to their conscience, to start to become more aware, start to notice your thoughts. And start to notice that voice that says no. That's not the right way to go. That's not the right thing to do. Start to notice those feelings of discomfort or guilt or shame. Because they're telling you that you've done something wrong. We all know that. But we think it just comes from us. But it doesn't. And so we're very good at looking at other people. And seeing what they do wrong and what they do right. And having lots of judgments and criticisms. And so obviously we all believe that there is a right way to behave and a wrong way to behave. And so we just need to turn that insight onto ourselves because that's when transformation begins. And so I think people are truly afraid of true transformation because they want it all on their terms. They want their lives to be better. They want their relationships to be better. And yet they're not prepared to do the things that are necessary They want to make it up as they go along or they want to just complain about their problems rather than do anything about it. If you have a problem in your relationship then you need honesty and assertive communication to solve it. If you're not prepared to be honest, if you're not prepared to communicate, nothing's going to change and so many people find it so hard to be honest. So many people find it hard to have any kind of what they perceive to be a confrontation or just a, an assertive conversation with people that they love. And so they just avoid it and then complain about their husband or their wife or their children or people at work or whoever, rather than tackling it head on. And so we are very avoidant of the things that we truly need to do to transform. And so it stands to reason that we're going to block out any kind of guidance that comes to us, that tells us to do something we don't want to do. We all do it. I had a very difficult situation in my life and in my community where I got to a place where I felt completely betrayed by many people in a community that I'd lived in for nearly 10 years. And for nearly two years, I harbored resentment. It started off with anger, then bitterness, then depression on my part, and resentment. And it was because I hadn't yet got to the place where I could forgive. And in fact, I didn't want to, even though I knew the teachings of loving our enemies and loving our neighbour and forgiving people or we're not going to be forgiven. You know, I can rattle them off because I've read them. I understand them. But the test was, am I going to live it out? And I remember it was maybe a week before Christmas and I was writing out a few Christmas cards. And normally I'd send them to, you know, the majority of people in my community. But I had decided that I was just going to send them to the people that I liked. And then I just had this feeling and this intuition to send Christmas cards to all the people who had betrayed me. And there was a a kind of instance of rebellion where I was just thinking there's no way I'm gonna, and it was almost halfway through the thought, this feeling of peace came over me and I just said, okay, I'll do it. And the funny thing was, after the peace came, I really wanted to do it because it was almost like God was healing me of all of that pain and betrayal, all of that resentment, all of that bitterness. And I just had to agree with it. I just had to receive it. This is how he transforms. And I received it. And I said, yes, I'll do that. And I'm not saying I was instantly healed. But I certainly felt a lot better. And I was able to move on. Because often the places we're staying, all that we need to leave behind, aren't geographical. They're states of mind. Their feelings, bitterness and resentment has got to go. For our own benefit and for the healing of our relationships, it's got to go. And it's not to say that these things are going to happen instantly. We're not taught to instantly forgive people who hurt us because no one learns anything from that. We have to go through a process and so do the other people, especially if they're not repentant. You know, we have to wrestle with these things. And forgiveness doesn't mean being in relationship with those people again. It just means that you've let go of the pain. And you're walking to a new place. Emotionally, spiritually, you're walking into a new land. And this is a process that happens time and time and time again. When you're in relationship with God, he is requiring you to transform to accept his transformational power and spirit into your life, to open the door through your free will choices, through your faith, that is when the transformation journey begins. And it's a lifelong journey with many pit stops. But the idea is to keep walking up that mountain, to become the person that he wants us to be. But if you are intent on being the person that you want to be, it's going to be very difficult for God to have any room to work in your life. So are you going to be self determined? Or are you going to be God determined? Are you going to stay as your own creation? Or are you going to move towards being a new creation? Are you going to humble yourself? Are you going to have faith? Are you going to repent? Are you going to turn? Are you going to ask for forgiveness? Are you going to sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed? And are you going to start to learn what God wants from us? And are you going to obey? These are the ways in which we are saying to God, I am truly seeking you. Not reading the Bible for reading the Bible's sake, not doing a theology degree or getting a PhD, not kneeling for eight hours a day in prayer or going through certain rituals, but doing what he asks us to do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven and i will forgive their sin and will heal their land there's the prescription in second chronicles 7:14 there's the prescription What does God want? He wants that. Humble yourself, pray, seek my face. In other words, seek a relationship with me. Turn from your wicked ways. Now, we might not like that kind of language, wicked ways, but essentially it's saying this, you've gone your own way and things have gone wrong. You can't rely on your own understanding. You can't choose good and evil for yourselves because you just justify all of your actions, which means that you never change because you never acknowledge you've done something wrong. And so you stay stuck. So turn, turn back to me, the fountain of all wisdom, all knowledge. Let me help you to understand. Let me help you to transform. And I will reveal more of myself to you. I will forgive. I will love. I will accept. I will heal. And I will lead you into the new land, the new life that I have for you. And when we can do all of that... That's when we can truly say we don't have any resistance. That's when we can truly say we are open to a relationship with God. That's when we can truly say we are sincerely seeking. Instead of what people are really saying, which is they're seeking proof. They're seeking certainty. They're seeking favour. They want their prayers to be answered. And if they don't see any of that, well, obviously God doesn't exist. We're dealing with an invisible God. Of course, he's hidden. And so there needs to be this understanding, first of all, that God isn't going to show up in the ways that we want or could predict. He's going to communicate with us mind to mind, thought to thought, heart to heart. All of these things are invisible, intangible, even our thoughts And our feelings and our words are intangible, but they still exist. We live in a world that is visible and there is a realm and a world that is invisible to us. And so God speaks to us through dreams. He speaks to us through our conscience. He speaks to us through our thoughts. The nudges, the intuitions, sometimes even the signs in nature, guiding us to look in certain directions, guiding us to read certain things, And it's going to be very specific to us. And so the things that open the door aren't all of the doings, aren't all of the good works. Again, they're intangible. Faith is intangible. Humility is intangible. Using our words and our thoughts to pray or ask for forgiveness is intangible, invisible. And certainly the transformational spirit of God is intangible. But we do Feel it. And it does have an incredible effect on so many people around the world. And the world desperately needs God's transformational power and spirit. Desperately needs it. And once you realise that, you really have dropped your pride. Once you realise how much you need God, that God, in fact, is already sustaining the universe and us, and we don't even acknowledge that God exists. We would prefer to believe it was all a giant accident, that nothing really has any meaning because it was a giant accident. We would prefer to live in kind of futility than to acknowledge the very obvious fact that we live in a created universe. And so therefore we have a creator who has made everything to work very, very well in specific ways. And once you start to follow those ways, your life really does start to change. So God may be hidden to us, but he's not silent. He's been speaking to us from the beginning. We just need to tune our receiver in order to hear it. And so if you're ready to change, he's ready, willing and able to help you. And so I hope you can pray in the same way that I pray that God will reveal himself more to people who are seeking him, that he will impress himself upon you in ways that you can understand and receive personally, that the scales fall from people's eyes, that their stony heart is replaced with a receptive heart, and that we can truly say, like David, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so thanks for listening, everyone. I will put all the Bible verses in the podcast notes and all the prescriptions that I see listed within the Bible that we need to follow if we want to have a relationship with God. And I will speak to you again very soon.